In the beginning, there was nothing. Then there were comic books. Once you enter our world, there is no escape. Comic exposure begins in 3, 2, 1... Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. My name is Josh Buckley, and my podcast friend... Wild Stallion. My podcast Wild Stallion is... Travis Rats. Travis Rats. Travis, how you doing today? Good, man. I, uh, Josh is getting me some uh, nerdy birthday gifts, a uh, little Wild Stallions t-shirt, and uh, a cable uh, new in a new mutants trade. I found this grubby old... It's like I went back in time in 1993. <laughs> right? That's what I did for you. That's what I did for you. I saw this cable trade, and I could not, I couldn't leave it at the comic book store. It was like, it's like when you go to uh, PetSmart, and you see like that cat, it was just like, every, all the other cats are adopted. It doesn't have eyes. It doesn't have eyes. eyes. <laughs> it's got really big thighs, that, and a what, tiny waist, That's what that cable and guns. trade was, yeah. <laughs> Giant shoulders. Giant cat guns. <laughs> Uh, so this is the Comic Exposure Podcast. On the Comic Exposure Podcast, we do a couple things. Uh, every other week, we do a comic book club kind of trade discussion where we bring a guest on to talk about comic books. And then in between those, we shoot the shit. Mm-hmm. Have some guests on, interview some folks, yeah. talk comic books. Yeah, just play with our imaginations. Yeah. Yeah. Imagination. Speaking of imaginations, yeah. you know what? Who ha- has some amazing imagination is the uh, creators of this um, Civil War, the new Civil War trailer. Did you see Did you see that trailer, dude? It is beautiful. Oh. It is beautiful. Oh, so much going on. Black Panther? Black Panther, my, like, aside from Spider-Man. If we right. could set, set Spider-Man yeah, aside, yeah. because that was just, everybody's waiting to see yeah, yeah. what Spider-Man looked like. Black Panther taking down, uh, running after Bucky and grabbing the motorcycle. It, like, he, like, claws at him. Like, you get, like, that, you get yeah. like, that movement. Like, he's yeah. got his own uh, distinct movement. And from it, all the other characters. And it was great. And it was great. And is this going to be a six-hour movie? It might It might have to be a six-hour movie. <laughs> is this going to be like Roots, the miniseries? Are they going to release like two hours every month? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So here's, here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. What did you think of Spider-Man? What did you think of Spider-Man? I loved it. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved I loved the design. I loved like the little movement. I loved like the joke that like I love it how he's a kid. Like yeah. We knew he was going to be a kid yeah. before the trailer came out. But there's also, like, it could be a kid in the sense that Andrew Garfield was kind of a kid in the first one, like a teenager. But you're like, it's very um, uh, 90210 where you're like, is this really a kid? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just the way... I just like that he sounds like a kid. kid yeah, exactly. You only hear him say one thing. Yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> yeah. But that's, a, that's, like, perfect. Yeah. Um, I like and that- it's going to be so... It's gonna fit in so well with all the like the so everyone yeah. all the, some of the other characters can take themselves very seriously even in their humor yeah and this now we have this young kid in there I like that Tony Stark calls him Underoos yeah it's hilarious that was great yeah either a play on the fact that he's a kid or a play on the fact that it looks like he's wearing it could be pajamas, both yeah right I don't know if I would have given that joke away though I guess it is you gotta have that be, in the in the land of competing trailers yeah uh, you gotta have something that's gonna I'm be curious like, I'm curious is that the first time you see him in the movie and I just don't think it is I don't think so either no. I'm like I they, like they, it sounds like they've already established that like he's called him like they've they like um, Tony Stark and him have kind of like a yeah of but I'm wondering, like, will that be part of the story? Is that like, no, it just happened. You just didn't see it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I think yeah, this yeah. Will, I don't think this is the first time we'll see. We, I don't think the clip in the trailer was the first time that you see. It might be the first time you see him in costume. I don't know. But oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. When the eyes narrow, it was fantastic. That was awesome. It was such a, like, Steve Ditko-looking comic. Yeah. Oh, man, it was so great. Like, it was really cool. The emotion. And did you hear there's, like, uh, like little... Like they sounded like almost like uh, like lenses when they moved. So oh, yeah. so watch the trailer again. And when they move, there's like a little oh like a, like oh like, like a sound. Yeah, there's like a little sound. So maybe like there's some Tony Stark tech in there. Like oh. maybe they like enhanced vision or something like that. Maybe so. they did like maybe they had like a fitting room montage scene with Tony and Spider Man somewhere earlier in the movie, and then he comes out as under ruse. Wait, this is getting I don't know. You know scratch <laughs> it, scratch it, doesn't, scratch doesn't it. sound right, scratch it. Sound right. <laughs> That's a different movie. That's a different movie. Uh, yeah, no, dude, it looked great. I'm super stoked for it. I am far more stoked for that than I am for Batman v Superman, which is almost here. 
Yeah, it's 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 upon us. Batman the, v Superman courtroom of justice. Yes, that's right. The the court date is upon us. It's yeah. almost time. We, we have all been served. Yes, we've all been served. And we're papers. required to show up on what's the exact date when it comes oh, out? Oh, I don't know what the date is, but I know I'll be there. I'm You're not doing the it. midnight showing, are you? No, I won't no, see it. I'll probably go so see it the well. I might see it that night at like seven or something. We're actually going to, we added to our list. We're, we're going to be reading um, uh, The Death of Superman and Dark Knight Returns. Back to back with The Dark Knight Returns. Going to smash those into one issue just to get like a full dose of like quintessential 90, Superman nostalgia. And, and Batman. Yeah, I tweeted out, I asked a bunch of people, like, which Superman should we read? And people gave us some good ones to read. They said, All Star Superman and uh, Last Son of Krypton and all this stuff. Death of Superman was not on that list. I, huh? think, I think a couple people said Death of because it's so, because it's so Iconic. good. But, um, okay, hold on one sec, buddy. Okay, I'll be right there. Whenever <laughs> we're talking about comic books. <laughs> so, uh, the Death of Superman one, I just felt like I remember reading it, so I wanted to know how well it held up. I'm flipping through it right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is this is sounds like nineties nineties nostalgia. It smells like nineties nostalgia. <laughs> it smells like my my room probably growing so who's, up like who's dirty coming socks. On for that one, Travis. Who's coming on to talk about? Uh, well, I think we're gonna try to get uh, uh, Dan uh, McCloy. He's a uh, a big fan of the Dark Knight. I think he's even used it in his classroom uh, when he was teaching uh, certain parts, pulled certain parts from the Dark Knight, used it in his classroom. Uh, uh, big uh, Batman fan, so um, he was on for that. Um, Mark use, Mark Miller uh, Daredevil. So. How does he use? Uh, I think Batman he, in his classroom. I think he used like so, like some of the dial. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to ask him. All, that's one of the things yeah, we'll have to ask him. We'll have to ask him. We'll have to ask him. <laughs> uh, I just finished reading. I have I had never read it before. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. just gonna say, if you've been following us on Twitter. Uh, you can go back and you see. You live tweeted it. I live tweeted my reading of it. Now, it's pretty sporadic. So if you go to Twitter and you just search the hashtag uh, Josh Reads TDKR, then yeah. you can follow it. It's probably never taking you so long to read four comics in your life. It has huh? not. It is not. But not, we'll not, not giving away good or bad, but just like there's a lot. There's a lot there's to a read. Lot there's a lot in to that digest. Book. So we'll talk about that. Uh, that one's coming up. Uh, so let's see, Travis. Before we've got an interview today, right? We've got an interview yeah. on the show today. Yep. Uh, before we get into kind of segueing into that interview. Uh, what have you been reading otherwise, dude? Honestly, I've been I've been going back through and reading some of my old trades. I recently did a, one of those kind of early spring cleanings out of my that the closet that never gets touched. Um, <laughs> what did you was, find in there? Well, one I I remember as like a kid, I used to buy action figures and not open them. So I have a bunch of unopened like X Men action figures. <laughs> uh, next time you come over, I'll have to I'll have to give you the tour of them. There's uh, ironically, a lot of Fe- Professor Xavier action figures. Really? And I'm like, who's what kid buys Professor X <laughs> action uh, figures? Yeah, you know, at, at Greg's Comics, they have like an entire wall of old '90s X Men yeah. like figures, and I always want to buy Renner like uh, a cable or yeah. um, like I just like a Jubilee and be like, here you go, buddy. Like, all these <laughs> don't <things>. open it. <laughs> no, they're not like worth anything yeah, anymore. No, so no, whatever. No, even mine are all kind of bent. Yeah. Uh, but I so in doing that, I found a bunch of trades. Um, some old uh, Batman trades. I read uh, Batman Contagion. If you ever read that yeah, run, it's like where this. It's a pretty good run. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been pl- kind of pulling that. But you've been reading some single issues, right? Yeah, well, I you know I'm a single issue kind of guy, so I've been reading single issue stuff. The stuff I'm that, a single issue, I'm a single kind, issue of guy. kind of guy. Hey, uh, I don't know if you know about me, ladies, but I'm, I'm a, a single, single issue, issue kind, kind of guy. guy. I've been reading a couple things. Uh, a couple things that kind of stick out. I've been reading uh, Man Plus by Andre Lima Arroyo, which is I probably just said his last name wrong. I think they're just they're just through the first two issues of it, so I think issue three comes out later this month, and I'm really digging that one. It's kind of it reminds me it's a little Blade Runnery, but is this brighter. It right here? Yeah, this is it right here. So Blade Runnery, but a little lighter. Uh, there's like this android on the loose, and there's like two groups of people after this android, like the cops and then some terrorist outfit or something like that. Uh, Not a lot of dialogue in this, huh? No, no, it's it kind of sparse, but uh, it's there's a lot of action stuff throughout that one. The first issue, the second issue's got a little more dialogue in it. I'm really digging it. Uh, I picked up the first uh, Iron Fist and Power Man issue. That was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Oh yeah, I heard some good things about yeah, this. Yeah, the, the art was really good. Uh, I enjoyed this is that. A variant one. cover? Yeah, that's a variant cover that I got there. This is the one where it's like the the toy variant cover. That's cool. Yeah, so that one really that one's been good. I like that one. Uh, image stuff I've been reading. Uh, Descender just wrapped up issue eleven. I think they're going on a break until June. I really dig that one. The arts, 
The art's awesome. It's kind of like watercolor. It's I'm really, really liking this art. This is this Danny Rand who did this. No, uh, Danny Rand is uh, is uh, Iron Fist's name. Oh, oh yeah. Is uh, <laughs> I don't know. I never. Danny, I never read an Iron Fist in my life. Danny Rand is uh, Iron Fist's name. Uh, you know, I can't remember who's doing the art in there. It's probably right in the first page or so. Uh, the new Black Widow came out. That's gorgeous. It's the Daredevil team. Wade and Samney are doing it, along with uh, Wilson. Oh, man, you're really packing in a lot of single issues, huh? Dude, I read a lot of junk. I read a lot of junk. We got, you're on spring break, so you're yeah. just going to cruise through some single issues. Well, I read issues. this. is This is my pile that was this, upstairs. This that Black Widow book through. does look gorgeous. Oh, man, that Black Widow. It, it is fantastic. This so is uh, a Chris Somney. Yeah, yeah Somney's doing a great job on it. Uh, our buddy of the show, uh, Godleski, uh, has, a, uh, has a new book out on Vertigo called Dark and Bloody. I've been checking out that one. My neighbor is the artist on that one. So, yeah, I just finished this second issue just came out on that one. It's pretty good. It's kind of like a southern horror sort of thing. But is, is he, who's he doing it through? Image? Uh, it's uh, Vertigo. Vertigo. So it's a oh, Vertigo book. nice. Yeah, so. Oh, I would I think as far as like street card goes, if I was an artist, I'd want to at least work on one Vertigo like, book. Yeah, I did a Vertigo book. Yeah. Uh, so, Vertigo. Sean Aldridge is writing it and uh, our our buddy uh Godleski's uh doing the art on it. It's pretty good. Uh, Ringside have been reading that one's pretty good it's like wrestling and comic books combined so the art's pretty punk rock in it but there's something I've gotten past how like I'm usually pretty into punk rock art this one took me a couple issues to finally go yeah I can accept how like oh yeah, how yeah, cartoony yeah. you're right that you're right is. yeah it does it's uh, a little uh, jarring at first yeah but but I, I've dug that one those are cause some of the single stuff I've been reading uh, but then I've been pouring through some trades I've got you know I uh, at Comic Con, uh, Amazing Arizona, I picked up a handful of stuff. I picked up an old uh, um, Michael Walsh. Did you get through Space Beavers yet? I did not read Time Beavers. The time yet. Beavers. That's on my <laughs> list. Uh, I read an old an old uh, image trade called Comeback. Uh, Michael Walsh was doing the art on it. Jody uh, Jody Belair doing colors, uh, and then Brisson was doing uh, Ed Brisson. I can't remember. I don't know how to say anybody's name. Brisson. 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 Bryson. Whatever. I uh, do the story on it, kind of like time travel investigator sort of thing. Not bad. I mm-hmm. love I love some Michael Walsh. I picked that up. Uh, no, I love Brendan Walsh. Brendan Walsh. That's a good one. Yeah. Peach Pit hanging out. I feel like I do a lot of 90210 references on this show. Well, here's – if you you are pretty much a 90210 character, like you could be on 90210 because <laughs> although you are, you know, 31, you could play a high school. Oh, yeah, I could do a high schooler. You could play a high schooler on yeah. television. As long as you, because you can't, you don't have a lot of. Because they put hair. a lot of makeup on yeah, me and cover up my wrinkles cover up and stuff. Wrinkles yeah. And okay. Uh, and then I picked up this beauty. Uh, oh, I love this. I saw you. Kill Raven. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, I, I picked up this old. Um, this is beautiful. This old trade. It's like a, a eighty-three or eighty-two. It came out, uh, and apparently there was this this time period where Marvel was trying to do like one-off graphic novels. And they did him this eight and a half by eleven size. This trade stock is this stock is amazing. Yeah. This paper stock. So it's really nice paper stock. They did him in this weird time where uh, they were trying to compete with graphic novel stuff. Um, so it's it's this bizarro kind of it's an oversized issue uh, or oversized print, and the art in it sometimes it is gorgeous and sometimes it's like wow that's that's pretty eighties. Uh, but it's super weird. I can't even explain the story to you. Martians take over, um, and they kill a bunch of people, and they eat our babies. There's there's some real David Bowie stuff happening in this. It's super. It's super bizarre. It's super bizarre. Uh, totally fun to go back and read something weird though, because that's the kind of stuff I'm, I kind of dig that sort of like retro. I like this back. this the size of this oh, book man. and the, the stock in it. I would yeah. buy, I, they should bring this back. You know how much you know how much I paid for that? How much? Uh, let's see. A cover whole, cover price? Not even cover price. Cover price on it from 1983 is uh, five ninety five. I picked it up at Zia Records because they have a little comic comic book section. Picked it up at Zia Records for three bucks. So nice. This, it's in good condition. It's it in is, good condition this too. This and this and Time Beavers are my are my reads. So I also You're did, such a comic book hipster. I also went back and did <laughs> so I, I live tweeted some Kill Raven stuff. So if you go back and literally, I'm one of like four people who've ever tagged Kill Raven on Twitter. So if you search on Twitter for hashtag Kill Raven, you can see my. <laughs> Uh, my rundown. Of, of you probably just Google together. Kill Raven, and your Twitter's probably going to pop up. <laughs> probably. Uh, but I read that, and I'm, I'm going to read Time Beavers as my next one. I'm going to live live tweet out reading Time Beavers. I would like us to read Time Beavers for the for the show. <laughs> this is not the first time you mentioned this, so I think this, we're going to have to make this happen. Just, just because just it's so to ridiculous. appease you, <laughs> just because it's so ridiculous. But I thought that'd be fun. Uh, so, man, what else you got going on? We got we got 
I looked on Netflix today because I'm watching me some House of Cards. Yeah. And they got the timer for Daredevil. I know. It's almost it's, Daredevil. It's, it's, it's like four days and like eight hours away. It's crazy. It's 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 gonna, It looks good. It does. Look it good. looks good. And you know we're living in this post uh, Deadpool world. Uh, that I thought that Daredevil was already pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, and they filmed this before. Of course, they yeah. they they know like oh we can go dark with things, but um. I, I, there's so much happening in this season. Again, I'm like, how many episodes is That's this going to be? I'm always like... There's like four storylines going on in there's here. There's a ton of stuff crammed into it. I'm a little worried that maybe it'll be a little bloated. But right. you don't have Wilson Fisk, so you don't have that giant character, right? Unless he Right, no, appearance. that's a good point. Because um, you don't see him in any of the... Yeah, uh, so you're not going to see one big bad. I, I've heard that the hand is in it, right? Yeah. So... But I don't with think, Electra yeah, like, coming I, in with the hand. But and, I think that that'll be kind of like it won't be one giant guy you have to focus episodes on. So I think you're going to see a lot. Of, that's my only fear is you're going to see too much Punisher. I like Punisher. Yeah. I want to see Punisher in it, but I don't want it to be the Punisher show. Well, I think that I think that they were good the first season. I mean, shoot, he wasn't even in his costumes with yeah. the last yeah. series, so they really know how to hold back on that throttle. Yeah. yeah, and I don't even I even in that first series you didn't even see. Kingpin, Kingpin, yeah. Until like the third episode, right? Yeah. So I think they're gonna pump the brakes on uh, on Punisher. I think that anyone who expects to see Punisher in the f- maybe the first episode, like actually see the full, yeah. I think they've missed that mistake, my friend. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. That one should be good. I'm pretty excited. We're gonna have to do it. We'll end up doing a, a Daredevil podcast. We'll probably do. Yeah, well, maybe we, we might have to read two. another Daredevil trade we before might have it. To. <laughs> we have to. We, last time we broke it into two episodes. We did like we watched the first half. Let's talk about it in the second half. Because I can't binge like some people binge. You can't binge like you used to binge. I can't binge like I used to binge. Yeah. Whether it's binge drinking, you should stretch. Or binge watching, I should. I should stretch. You should stretch before a good Netflix a good Netflix, Netflix binge, binge. Is what I say. Um, yeah, man. So who? I'm watching vinyl too now. Oh, that? Book. It's really it. good. You I, would dig it the most, know, man. You like would punk, dig it the most. Like, it's about punk rock and music. yeah. It's like like he opens up. The opening scene is him going to a New York Dolls concert. Oh. Uh, <laughs> personality oh man i'm gonna have to watch it it's been on like i saw like oh i've got to watch that it's on hbo um but we've just been so busy and usually uh my wife and i'll like binge watch stuff together do you have hbo on, uh, on your... i have hbo go so oh yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah dude you gotta check that out um, for spring break man this is a great break. what do we you know what i've been watching have you been watching the 11 i started it i got to like three episodes in to the part where he becomes like the english teacher yeah. again and i was like Yee. really yeah. uh, what's what's your beef with it what's your beef with it uh, no, I think it's a good show. It's just not up my alley as far okay. as like like this. I, I'm just not really interested. And my my favorite part ab- about the show is him adjusting to life. Yeah. Uh, in the 1950s yeah. or 60s, um, 60s, right? 60s, yeah. Early 60s. Uh, so I like that parts of it. The all like the the um the thriller, the political thriller stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I read the book, so I'd read the book, and so I'm kind of like. Oh, did so, you? Yeah, so far it's a pretty good ad- oh. adaptation of it. I'm, I'm digging it. I'm not a huge um, shoot. What's his name? Shoot, doop, da doop. What's his shoop, name? Shoot, da doop. The dude, uh, James Franco. It. I'm not a giant James Franco fan, but I think as he gets older, I can tolerate some yeah. James Franco a little more. <laughs> you like a mature Franco? I like, a, I like, a mature, I like my Franco's mature. Well, I mean, like the thing wine. is, he's just done so much stuff yeah. that like you can dislike half of it and like the other half and still think he's a good yeah. actor. Yeah. You know, so he's doing he's doing a good job, and I like it. Um, I don't know, man. I. All right, so who are you setting up for uh, – who's, who's our interview today? Um, so we got we, – we're going to – that's how the interview went. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's all mealy-mouthed on there. You know, I, I introduced some um, – at the beginning of the interview, this is the – we're looking at the creative uh, force behind uh, uh, Caliber Comics' uh, book, The Shepherd. It's a graphic novel okay. uh, that's released on Caliber Comics, but you can buy it anywhere through Barnes & Noble Yeah, I saw, I saw it on Barnes & Noble. It looked um, like uh, they're doing a Kickstarter for, like, the sequel or something like right now. Yeah, exactly. So we we are joined by the, uh, 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 the author's um, uh, father-son team from the uh, Shepherd – book the first one out and then uh, bringing in the artist uh from the new run so I, I won't talk too much about it i'm gonna kind of let the interview take over and uh uh cruise from there but there's some really interesting stuff in the interview they talk about you know connections to storytelling and uh sequential art so awesome. there's some really unique takes on 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 the medium all right so here's uh travis talking to the creative team behind the shepherd Okay, we are here today talking with Andreo and Roberto uh, Molin- Molinar 
Uh, writer and co-writer of The Shepherd, and gra- uh, this is a graphic novel available through Caliber Comics. And we have a bonus uh, guest as well with Cristobal Iglesias, who will be joining the creative team of uh, Andrea and Roberto as The Shepherd Adventures continue. Now, um, and it's, I'm sorry, I just wanted to, to say yeah. it's actually uh, Torres, because uh, Iglesias is my second surname, so it would actually be Torres. Oh. It's, it's an honest yeah. mistake. Anybody and, can make <laughs> and I was going to go through. See, this is you guys with the, the, the Spanish names here. I, I really <laughs> exhausted all my my Midwestern intellect to, to crack these. So, uh, Andrea and Roberto, you can feel free to correct the, that last name as well. It's Molinar, right? Molinari yeah. with the, with the, the I at the end. Oh, I didn't have that written down. Molinari. Oh, see, I feel like I need some cliff notes just for the, the introductions okay. here. Yeah, I mean. After a while, I, uh, I just kind of stopped correcting people just because it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> no, it matters. <laughs> you got to get that name. You're getting your name out there. So this is, you know, we're, they were, uh, this team was kind enough to let me uh, uh, read The Shepherd. And uh, this is a graphic novel. It's out. It's available right now through uh, Caliber Comics. You can buy it on Amazon. And we'll, and we'll, we'll uh, talk about a few more places where you can get your hands on it. But I want to start off today. Um, I'll, actually, my first question is going to be to you, uh, Andrea. Uh, it's this: you know, how does someone with a PhD in and correct me if I'm wrong, but early Christianity and New Testament, how does someone with that education end up writing a graphic novel? Well, I would say there's two components to that answer, and the first part of it is that I always loved comic books from the time I was a little kid. Um, so I grew up, I was born in 1967 and I grew up, you know, kind of with the Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman and Robin. And, um, you know, I, as a little kid, we, you know, we'd buy comic books and we'd share them on the school bus and they're dog eared and tattered. And rarely did you read like a, you know, a complete story. You would get, you know, the last issue or the first issue of a story arc. And you're reading whatever you can get your hands on. So it's, you know, Daredevil and this today and Spider-Man or Batman and Green Lantern, you know, whatever you could, you know, whatever, whoever, whatever the guys had and you're trading it around reading, just, you know, loving all of it. And uh, so there, that's half of it. And the other half is that um, the use of sequential storytelling uh, in relationship to theology is actually incredibly old. Uh, and it's not, by the way, uh, you know, exclusive to Christianity. Um, if you are, were to, you know, Google, uh, sarcophagi, or sarcophagi, uh, you know, paintings, um, you know, the, uh, paintings of the afterlife from Egyptian mythology that are written on the inside of the, the sarcophagus, uh, or on the walls of the various Egyptian pyramid tombs. Uh, you would see that they use sequential storytelling to depict the judgment of the soul. And uh, it works just like a comic book where you literally see the soul depicted in white. And it first is offering offerings to the various Egyptian gods. And then, um, you know, it is, uh, you know, brought before uh, this, you know, great scales where the heart is weighed against the feather of truth. And then once uh, it passes that judgment, it is then ushered in before the Egyptian god Osiris and his two wives, Nephthys and, and Isis. And, um, you know, so understanding that and knowing that, of course, that that sequential storytelling uh, is also used in Christianity, you know, for centuries. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind is called a docile. And a docile is, imagine that you have a central picture of an icon of a saint, okay? Uh, let's say St. Francis of Assisi as an example. And then around the perimeter, the uh, left, top, and right side of that icon, you have little pictures that depict the, in sequential um, order, various highlighted events of the life of that saint culminating in their deathbed scene, which in Christianity is when they transition from this life to eternal life. Um, and so that idea of using sequential story art is very much at home uh, within the study uh, of theology. So 
it, it is not as far off the beaten track as you might imagine. And, you know, you say something really interesting there. There's something, you know, when you talk about getting into comics at a young age and, and that romantic aspect with comics, you know, where it, it was you bend them, you put them in your back pocket, you pull them out, and they're, you know, it doesn't matter if you got the whole story. It's just the sequential storytelling of art. There is something that's so accessible about one of the earliest forms of storytelling, and you just kind of gave us a brief um, uh, rundown of that, you know, I think when when you talk to uh, uh, non-comic book readers and you mention the idea of comics, they, some people, maybe less now in the last 20, 30 years, but there is a certain, even Stan Lee would say, you know, at dinner parties, he people ask him what he did. He stopped telling people he wrote comics because they look at him as, almost like as an inferior art form. But as you just said, this is this is a timeless and ageless art form that has connections to the earliest storytellers uh, in our societies. Uh, and so you pick up the, the, the kind of banner here with uh, The Shepherd. And so not only are you telling this story that has some deep philosophical questions, but you're doing it in a sequential art form that is as old as uh, human society. It, it's, 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 a, it's a fascinating way of explaining it, uh, Andrea. There's a, there's a great thing also, something that I, that I like to explore in, in my own work, <clears throat> both in terms of comics and even in terms of religious iconography, and it's that there is a very long tradition in the West, um, certainly in the Christian world, both uh, East and West, of, uh, you know, with, within what Andrea was talking about, also of, of words, of text being part of that, so that... For example, if you look at a lot of Eastern icons of saints and things, you'll see uh, words, you know, also present sort of in a complementary way, telling the story with the image, which is what comics does, you know, what, what sequential storytelling does. It's sort of a fusion of the two. But I think what, what, what I find really interesting, too, is if you look at um, some uh, Western medieval images of the Annunciation or, you know, these other sort of classic, you know, biblical uh, stories and things, where you have like a little ribbon coming out of the mouth of, <laughs> of the characters, essentially sort of like a medieval word balloon, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with a Bible verse or something. So it's the, there is a very um, long tradition in the Western world, and certainly, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of, of, uh, of its spiritual heritage and in terms of that, of um, sequential storytelling, as Andrea says, and of the marriage of word, of text and image in telling a story. Yeah, and you know when uh, when I was first in contact with uh, Andrea, we were talking about the book, and he said it was um, uh, in the email exchange. It was originally conceived as almost a novel uh, approach to it. Uh, what do you think? And, and that's uh, Chris. While you talked about that addition of words, that sequential art, what do you think that you get? from the medium of comics by adding that art, by adding that sequential art form to those words that you, that you wouldn't get in necessarily a prose novel form? Well, I think that the, you know, the art form of comics in itself is from the ground up is completely different because I don't think, for example, when, uh, when a writer, and of course, I mean, Andrea could speak to this better than I could, but I think when a writer is putting together a script for a comic book, you know, she or he is already just from the ground up thinking in terms of, you know, the words are only part of the story. You know, there's really like a fusion or a synthesis that has to happen. Um, in some ways, the image has to drive the story and tell the story. And in other ways, the words are extremely important. It's kind of like, um, I think a good, a good metaphor is if you look at, a, at, a, at another art form that works in a, in a parallel way in filmmaking, you know, you can have the best script in the world a very well tightly written script, but if you have awful actors, bad cinematography, um, and so forth, you know you're going to have one really bad movie. You know, and then the opposite is also true. You could have a really crummy script, uh, you know, with great actors and everything else. It's going to be a bad movie. So there's a way in which, um, you know, even Andre and I were, were talking about this. How uh, I'm looking at his script and I'm developing things out of it visually. And then he's looking at what I'm visually developing, and then he's developing further in his mind the story based on what he's seeing in, in, in my image, which in turn is based on his words, you know? So it's like there's a constant sort of a, a marriage of word and image that, you know, 
in, in, in the minds of these different creators coming together and sort of giving birth to something that's neither, you know, and it's kind of something new. And I think when you look at the essence of what the comic book is as an art form, what the graphic novel is, I think it's, it's that, you know. That's well put. And Roberto, I know that you had a lot to do with actually motive, getting the, the, the legs underneath this story as far as uh, uh, um, motivating your father to, to sit down and, and, and start writing down this. Can, can you tell me a little bit of, of the evolution from idea to page that you took with your, your father and, and getting Shepard um, uh, in print? Sure. So basically, uh, when he first uh, <clears throat> when he first told me about the nightmare, uh, you know, basically I had a you know pretty positive reaction towards it. I thought it was pretty cool. And then you know we started. Uh, I started pestering him to basically get the thing out, like to you know to to write it, because like I'd read his writing before. Uh, I've read you know like uh, the climbing the dragon's ladder, uh, you know other stuff that he's done. And then one of his like one of his pieces even from college that he wrote like it was a World War Two thing. I read that one, I want to say when I was, like, 16, so maybe even younger than that. Um, but, like, I knew that he could write, and so I kind of continued to push him to do it. And as we started to, like, like as he actually started to get into it, like, I can't, I can't remember, I think he's, like, 2011 or whatever, that he actually starts writing it. Um, you know, he talks about how it starts, you know, flowing and all that. Um, and then the editing process is absolutely massive, and, like, Part of it is uh, he's got this, like, sentiment of, like, he doesn't know if it's going to get finished, if it's going to get, um, like, if it's going to get published or any of that stuff. And, like, for me, it was never an if. It was more of a when. Right. So it was just kind of, like, continuously just trying to push everything forward. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like I had to work super hard to motivate him. Like, he kind of just did a lot of it anyway, like, uh, without me really having to push him that hard. It was just that, like, whenever we talked about it, I was just like, I mean, yeah, it's just going to happen. Like, literally all you have to do is just do it. So. Right. And Andre, he talked about this uh, nightmare, which is in the introduction to The Shepherd, uh, uh, which, you know, some people uh, skip right into the introductions and, and read the text. That's fine. But when you pick up Shepherd, make sure that you go back and read that introduction. There's some, some great insight into the making of his story. Now, Andre, you talked about this this nightmare, um, which ends up being almost a muse in, in, in the creation of this story. Is that so? Where do you typically get your ideas when you're writing from? Is this is was this a new way of uh, creativity never, tapping on the shoulder? Yeah, I, I've never had anything like this before. I mean, it was uh, normally. My dreams, I think I say it in the essay, normally my dreams, like most people, you know, a few minutes after you wake up, they're gone, you know, like sand through your fingers. And um, this particular nightmare was absolutely unlike anything I'd ever had before. I woke up with, you know, heart beating out of my chest. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't like a partial nightmare where you kind of experience elements of a, of a story, for lack of a better word, in the nightmare, but rather is if somebody, imagine if somebody says, you know, whether you like it or not, you're going to go on this roller coaster ride. We are going to lock you down and you are going to experience this whole thing and you don't have to enjoy it, but you're going to get it. And that's exactly what this nightmare was. It was just like experiencing an entire story from beginning to end and just, you know, being horrified by the experience and then waking up with this, this thing in me and I told my wife and she was horrified she was not happy I mean I basically told her that our son had died of a drug overdose and um and then I had killed myself you know so right. she was as as Roberto tiptoes downstairs for breakfast like go to your room <laughs> you know she was not you know she was not happy and I can assure you that Roberto got a lot of lectures you need to take this into context that my wife is a social worker oh okay? yeah there you go so, he he was I, by telling her that dream, it lit him up for months afterwards. Of, you know, lectures and various you know yeah. pontifications from her. After about, a while, you uh, you kind of learn to just tune him out. So, 
Like it's uh, it's actually been one of the struggles of like doing interviews like these, where like you know Dabble started talking for an extended period of time, and then there's that uh, there's that urge to kind of just drift away a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're like, and your your mom's like, uh, is that a cigarette? No, mom, it's thirty below out. It's my breath. Well, all right, but I'm watching. My eyes are on you. Yeah. I'm watching you like a hawk. That's no, an absolute that- case too. So it really lit him up, and then you know, um, and then I t- like he said, I told him about it. And his whole reaction was, "Oh, that's so cool." And I'm like, "No, it's not cool," you know. <laughs> and your mom hates me right now, so thanks a lot. So, uh, yeah. what was it? What's it like working uh, with your uh, your uh, your father? Uh, I know when anyone says, "Oh yeah, I sat down and my my father and I were working on this project." I mean, you, you tell it to some people, and maybe even half the population out there, they they would say, "I can't imagine," because art is so intimate. It takes collaboration, take takes such close working together. Um, and the, the the sharing of ideas and uh, give and take. What was that experience like working with someone so closely that you're related to? Well, we had a couple of things going in, like that. Were, um, like we had a couple of like advantages going in. Like for one, uh, my dad and I have always been really close. Like we've never had a problem talking about like you know anything. Um, so in terms of, like, talking about, like, the themes and, like, you know, the different artistic stuff, like, it was never a problem, like, because we, you know, we talked, like, we talk all the time anyway, and, like, that was back when I was in high school that we were, you know, talking about the stuff, so, like, I was still in the house, so we were talking, like, all the time, Um, so it was, like, we are, like, you know, with our uh, relationship the way it was, it wasn't really much of a stretch to to do something like this, Uh, and then there's the fact that neither of us are really, um, Neither of us are too touchy when it comes to the art thing. Like, uh, with artists, there's this kind of, um, there's the stereotype that uh, they can't really take criticism of their work, um, which is not really the case with either of us. So when it was, like, whenever we were sitting there going back and forth on something, like, there were different points that we argued over. Um, like, uh, for example, an argument uh, that we had for a while, actually, was whether or not one of the characters would kill. Um, we ended up settling on having the character not kill, uh, which actually, like, looking, like, in hindsight, it makes the story better. Um, but that's, like, uh, that's an example of a thing that we, like, went back and forth on for a long time. Um, but in general, working with Dad on this has been, like, you know, it's been one of the best things of my life. And uh, Andrea, um, when we talk about working with your son, I mean, you're the one who had the dream and the kind of driving idea. What did you lean on Roberto for in this process uh, uh, in creating the actual the script for the book? Well, you know, first of all, Berto was part of this whole thing from the very beginning in every step of this. So he saw every piece of art. I mean, he, we worked on the script together. We talked about does this line sound right? You know, little minutia, you know. I don't want to bore you with those kind of details, but, you know, every bit of it we really talked about. And um, I just think, it, like he said, I think it worked really well. Um, I felt that he had a lot to offer, you know, for this because, see, the story is an intimate story about a father and a son. And in addition to that, it's multi-generational relationships between fathers and sons because one of the other characters, as you well know, is actually my father, um, my real father, actually, who is now dead, um, uh, you know, is part of the story in this whole thing. And so there's the tension of, you know, the father, who's the middle of this equation, you know, he is kind of struggling with his relationships with, you know, the son and understanding the son and also understanding his father and the relationship because he's both father and son at the same time. He's between both of them and uh, struggling, you know, in those relationships, uh, but yet uh, grounded in love for both of those relate people in the relationship, if that makes any sense. Well, and you know? it, come, it, comes, it comes through in that story. I mean, there is... You see those that that bond of three generations in the shepherd, you know, and the ties to the past and the son and the father and the grandfather, um, and so having your son, you know, 
at, on this journey at, as a writer in this book, I mean, I think that not only for the book does that make that tone and that aspect, that side of the book come out more, but it just must have been a, a real treat to to do that with your son, to create something, to build a story from you know, uh, nothing, the, the, the seeds of imagination, the dream into something that, you know, some fathers will sit down and they'll, they'll do some woodwork with their son, you know, they build a cabinet or something like that, but you get to create a story. Um, and that I think is really, a really cool experience. Well, I would, um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily put one against the other, um, you know, because, we you a father can only share what they have to give with their son. So, like for example, I'm not the kind of guy. I'm not. Harold can tell you this. I'm not the handiest guy in the world. You know, it's like uh, I'm not going to learn mechanics from him. That's for sure. Yeah, there's no danger of me being able to teach him how to work on his car or anything. Um, me, I know you put gas in the car, and every so often you change the oil. I'm not 100 percent sure about how often that is. You know, there's a light that comes on, and then I do it. And, uh, you know, so that was what I had to share with him, the writing, and I did. But the other father who shares the woodworking, it really doesn't matter what you share. It's just that you do that, that you spend that time in relationship. It's it's a precious uh, thing, you know, and, I, and especially, you know, like um, with Roberto going off to college, he's now at Central, or excuse me, uh, at uh, the University of South Florida, USF in Tampa, and... Um, you know, having him be a way that, you know, that was a, was a real transition. It was tough, you know, but yet at the same time, you want him to, you know, grow, take the next step. And then to see, you know, he's a, an English major and to see uh, him, you know, send me some of his writing and to be blown away by it and say, this kid can play. This kid has got, you know, chops and, and um, you know, especially like even in the second story arc that we've, you know, written together, um, you know, really handing over and saying, okay, you know, it's not just a dialogue role. It's not just a bounce off role, but now, you know, you put your pen to paper and you take over this section of the story and just write the hell out of it. And, 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 I, and I have to say, having read, you know, obviously the, the all the scripts for the second installment, uh, the flow to me is just amazing in the sense that the flow between the, the two of you and the way that, you know, you really, um, it, it doesn't feel disjointed in any way. And, and the writing is solid all the way through, and it's telling a coherent and at the same time very layered story. Um, it, it's, 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 it's pretty pretty impressive. And really the, the pacing is what I was really impressed with on that uh, first read. When you pick up uh, uh, independent graphic novels, uh, for lack of a better term, um, there's often this rush to get to the wham bam the the mystic the 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 wow the what's really gonna you know pull the reader in and you do such a great job in this book of building that relationship between the father and the son in in, in here be between a professor miller uh and his son val um and the family around it and getting into professor miller's emotional state that when you get to that, oh, wham, bam, turning point, inciting incident moment, you feel like that you've earned it so much more because these characters are real. It wasn't, you know, four pages and now we're in purgatory. Now we're in the scene. It, it, you took that time and you built it. What I want to ask uh, Cristobal here is, you know, we talked a little bit before recording about um, the art, you know, uh, Ryan Shower's. Uh, pencils on here, uh, mm-hmm. Heather Breckel's uh, colors on here, um, taking over the reins and joining the team for the, the second installment of The Shepherd. Uh, what was really impressive to you just about the artistic style of this book as first a fan, first and foremost a fan? Well, a couple of things. I mean, uh, one thing that I, that I mentioned earlier is um, both uh, Ryan's, you know, line work, I guess the emotional resonance of the way that he depicted the characters. Um, I was saying how, you know, there was that, that one sequence in the morgue was really, uh, gripping, you know, uh, where the father, you know, where Lawrence gets there and he's holding Val's face, you know, in his hand and he's cupping his, and then the, you know, the tears coming down and everything, just the way that that's depicted, um, 
I mean, it, it just in addition to the writing being very solid, the, the visual depiction also has that emotional resonance. Um, but another thing that, that was really impressive to me was just Heather's, uh, Heather Breckel's um, colors. I mean, it seemed almost as though, I think, almost as though the colors were like another character, you know, for me anyway. Um, the way that the colors were really an integral part of the storytelling. You know, they weren't just there to make it look good and help it move along or something. Uh, in, in, in a sense, this, the colors really helped to tell the story. You know, the way that a particular tone would kind of take over a scene. Um, and it was always very relevant to whatever the emotional energy was and whatever was happening. You know, I thought, I thought it was just, it just was a very, it came together very well. And one thing I have to say also, uh, with regards to the character relationships, uh, is that something that, that stood out for me, uh, you very rightly said about the pacing and, and so forth, but the dialogue between Lawrence and his wife and the whole dynamic of the stages of grief uh, and and her as a female character, as a woman, I thought she was extremely well written. I thought that the um, uh, there was a very believable, uh, uh, you know, very real, very visceral depiction of what 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 it is that happens in a family in a marriage when this kind of grieving, when the loss of a child happens. It was actually it's very true to uh, even what you know what a lot of anecdotal experience as well as research shows you know it was it was very very authentic and in a way that really served the you know the story that was unfolding no absolutely and there's a really creative conversation uh that has to take place for this uh character's catharsis uh or you know a development in the story between uh the main character uh, uh professor miller and his wife that happens towards the latter half of this book that I thought was a creative way of, of, of being able to have that conversation with the situation the characters are in. I won't give it too much away, but um, uh, I want to talk about the idea of, of, of going and, and just doing it, right? Just getting out there and creating it. You know, a lot of people listen to this podcast, uh, comic book fans, and everyone's got an idea, right? Everyone's got, we all got these, these seeds of ideas. Some of us have dozens of them. You know, coming into this process, what advice uh, – I'm going to go through each of you, uh, and we'll start with uh, – uh, or, 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 you can choose whoever wants to jump in. Um, what advice would you give to anyone who's looking to start any endeavor, whether it be writing a, a, a comic or a novel or, you know, starting their own uh, food truck, taco stand? You know, what, what, what have you learned from this process that you – think that would be uh, beneficial to share to other um, uh, DIY artists? Well, I mean, you broadened it out. Uh, I guess I'll I did. start. Yeah, <laughs> I really did. Bring it uh, it's a, that's a big question. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it is you're going to have to do your homework. But thankfully, you know, with the Internet, you have lots of resources that are already there. Um, so, for example, with comic making, I mean, there are interviews with some truly talented people uh, that talk about, you know, the process of, of going about making a comic book, you know, very specifically to talk about a comic book. I can tell you, you know, with my process, um, Roberto and I went online and we found a company called Scattered Comic Studios out in Sacramento, uh, California. And uh, Scattered Comics is run and uh, by a gentleman named Jason Doobie, who is a uh, an artist and a writer in his own right. And, of course, publishing his own comic books. Uh, but he's also helps other people in his studio to make their comic books. And that's how we got in touch with him. Anyway, they have a stable of, of uh, artists and colorists. So you literally, it's like picking a pizza. You know, you, you go down the line and pick out the artist that you think fits your style, and then you pick out a colorist that you like their style. They provide you with a letterer. And uh, literally what Jason does is he works as kind of like your project manager and coordinates with all your, your creative team and helps you literally page by page do your comic book. Having that kind of pro help is a major step in the right direction, a major step. Um, because you've got somebody who's done it many, many times before, knows what it takes, and can work as a kind of intermediary between you and your creative team. 
And that is a huge, huge thing to be able to do that. So I would recommend that would be something I would recommend to people um, because there's a tremendous learning curve. And you can do it by yourself, but you're going to probably uh, it'll be a lot more expensive if you do. Um, it's going to cost you money. I mean, to do this creative teams, if you think you can do this for free, you're sadly mistaken. And um, you need to to realize that going in and you just have to figure out what is going to be a per page budget uh, just to put in perspective um my book uh with scattered comics was basically about 120 dollars a page uh to get it done so um you know and because it was five issues you're looking at you know basically about eighteen thousand dollars to do a comic book um now that may be shocking but it's also real you know i mean the artists can't do this you know for air they're doing this to make a living and they've got to be paid um and, of course, there's accountability with that. It's all about getting something done. You can have lots of ideas, but if you can't finish those ideas, that no one else ever really gets to appreciate them. And that's what, what this whole thing is about. Excellent. And thanks for those, those details on that. People, that, you know, that, that's key is, like, when, when you go to these interviews, you said it, you know, listen to what the professionals who are doing it say. Listen to their interviews. Pick up from them. Uh, Find a system that's already working that that you can learn from. All great advice, Roberto. How about you? I mean, I think that the uh, one of the things that I kind of brushed on earlier is the difference between viewing your goal as either an if or a when. And if you view your goal as a when, then like setbacks don't really matter. Because, like, I mean, we went, how many, like, what was it, like, 40 different publishers turned us down or something like that? Something like that. I lost track after a while. You know, it's like getting, once you, once you, been, you start to lose consciousness, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So, like, there was, like, uh, I mean, that was, like, for Dad, that was actually a pretty, you know, pretty rough thing. Like, uh, like you know, getting turned down so many different times. And a lot of the time, like, I mean, most of the time, I would assume, they're not even taking the time to read through it. But when you view your project as a when, it's really, like, having setbacks like that is just kind of whatever. Like, it's the kind of thing where you can take, you know, blow after blow, and it doesn't really shake your uh, project too much just because you know eventually you're going to get it done anyway. So I think uh, a really important part of the process is how you look at it. Well said. Great advice. Uh, Cristobal, how about you? I would say for me, one thing I've, uh, a couple of things I've learned, you know, from this and also from other projects is, uh, you know, we tend to think when we have a goal in mind that, you know, it's almost as if, you know, you, you, um, wait till you figure it out and then you go out and you do it. And I don't think that's necessarily how it always works. I think sometimes it's just the, the doing, even when you don't know necessarily um, where it's going to go or if it's going to have an audience or, or an avenue for exposure. I think that just having, <clears throat> just being active and creating with faith that, you know, you know within yourself when something is truly authentic and that, you know, you sort of are here for that. That's what you're here for. You know, there's a, there's a providence behind it. And so you say, you know, I believe, I trust, and I know that uh, I'm here for this. And so you do it. And then as you do it, I think things tend to align and sort of the energy aligns and, and uh, you know, somehow it comes to you, but you have to be putting in the work. And uh, whatever God puts you here to do will happen, but you have to be putting in the work. Well, I think the energy definitely aligned in this in this project, this, the Shepherd. So now's that time where we get to tell people they listen to the interview and they want to get their hands on this book. What, how can they do that? Where can they get their hands on this book? Okay. Um, well, first of all, it um, it can be ordered through any uh, any comic book store in North America. It was covered. Uh, it was carried by uh, Diamond's Previews in November of 2015, uh, so it can be ordered uh, through them. That's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, you can get it on Amazon uh, and and purchase it there in, in a hard copy form. Uh, if you like the digital route, uh, it's with Comixology, it's with Drive Through Comics, Google Books, Kindle. Um, you can go and see the different formats. There's so many of them that you lose, I lose track of how many 
there are. But uh, you can go to the Caliber Comics website, uh, and you can click on the Shepherd, and you can see all the different places where it can be purchased. But it's pretty easily uh, acquired. Yeah, it sounds like it would be hard to avoid this book. You can get it anywhere. There's no excuses, people. Get out there and, and buy the Shepherd. Uh, and uh, the last question is, uh, what can we expect next? What, what's coming? What's coming down the pike here? As far as uh, when can uh, I expect to read the next uh, issue of the Shepherd? Well, um, we we view these as a series of graphic novels. So when you view the next Shepherd, it will be the whole story. Um, I'm kind of a stickler. Like I don't know if you remember, there was a uh, there was a series. Um, in the ultimate Marvel's ultimate uh, series where they did, it was like, I think it was ultimate Hulk. And then, you know, they did what was supposed to be like, I think five issues and they did like the first two or three and then nothing, 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 nothing. And uh, eventually they did finish it, but I am a stickler for that. I don't like that. I don't want to do that to our readers and turn them off. Um, So I want to really be able to release the entire story. Boom. Think of it as kind of like a Netflix dropping daredevil. Yes. (laughs) You get the whole, you know, the whole thing. Um, Netflix original series. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So this, this, the uh, story arc that we are doing is the second story arc. It's called the shepherd, the path of souls. And um, basically what it is, is the story uh, that deals with post-traumatic stress disorder. And it asks this question that if, Soldiers who, many soldiers who go to, into combat, they come back home, they suffer from post-traumatic stress. What happens to those souls of men who fall in combat? Do they suffer post-traumatic stress in the afterlife? Ooh. And in this story, we answer the question by saying yes, that there's traumas that need to be resolved even there. And uh, so what we do is we are telling the story of four different soldiers uh, who are in a very specific part of the seam that works as kind of a hospital of sorts, uh, uh, an intensive care unit for souls of soldiers that have died in combat. And Cristobal is um, is one of our, our team. Ryan, you mentioned earlier, who did all the art in the first story art, is back with us. He will be doing one of those soldiers. And then we have another, a third artist uh, by the name of Kyle Houston, uh, and all three of our artists are doing different uh, characters. We have four soldiers, as I mentioned. Uh, Cristobal is actually doing a character by the name of Henri Jacques Tournier. And as you can hear, he's French. He is a member of Napoleon's army in, during the Egyptian-Palestine campaign of 1790-99. And he dies uh, in the wake of the siege of Jaffa in March 1799. I'm having fun with that one. I'm loving loving that one. That's the story that Cristobal is doing. And then we have the story of a Wendat Huron Indian uh, who lives in what is now modern-day Ontario, and he dies in the late 1640s during the the, uh, Huron-Iroquois War. Uh, And then um, the story that Bertel wrote um, is a story about a young man uh, by the name of Will Brannigan, who was a uh, Confederate soldier, a member of the 13th Mississippi uh, Infantry, who died uh, at the Battle of Fredericksburg in December 1862. And then our final uh, character is a character by the name of Jason Roberts, and he's a U.S. Marine who died in the Battle of Fallujah in November. This would be the second Battle of Fallujah in November 2004. So that's where we're going. We're telling stories about post-traumatic stress disorder um, and trying to raise awareness of the seriousness uh, of it. The re- this story really comes out of the fact that my wife, who I mentioned earlier as a social worker, uh, she works for the Veterans Administration, and she does um, post-traumatic stress counseling, uh, military sexual trauma, traumatic brain injury um, uh, therapy, and uh, she works with a number of different organizations that do retreats to help veterans who are suffering from this. Uh, you know, it's a it's a major problem. We've been at war now since 2001. And even before that, of course, we had men, you know, who had fought in the Gulf in the 90s. And then, of course, before that, other places, uh, including, you know, not the least of which was Vietnam. And there are so many people that are suffering from these from the, this issue of the post-traumatic stress 
and we really need to be aware of it so that we can uh, help these people. Well, there's certainly a lot to explore there, and it sounds like you got the right team to do it. So I want to thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming on the podcast. I know all three of you took your time today, and, uh, and we really appreciate it. I, th- I think people are going to be uh, really excited about what, how you guys work as a team. Once they read The Shepherd, I mean, that I read The, I read the Shepherd, and what you just described to me with the characters that are in The Shepherd, it's going to take it to a whole other level. So thank you, gentlemen, for uh, being on the podcast, and uh, we hope thank to have you, you back on soon. Thank you for having us on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been Thank awesome. Much. I appreciate it. All right. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview. Got some insight into the uh, Caliber Comics, The Shepherd. I'll tweet out the link to that. You can go to the Caliber, uh, Caliber Comics shop. I'll probably, or uh, like their website. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hook up uh, the author on there so you can see him, Andrea. You can you can check him out. He's uh, at Caliber Shepherd, I think it is is the Twitter. I'll double check it. Mm. But, uh, so thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, next book coming up is Chrononauts. So let me do the rundown of what we're of what we're reading. I I haven't read it yet, and I always think Chrononauts. I think you're thinking it's like a donut. Chrononauts. Chrononauts. We're reading Chrononauts. That's the next book up. Uh, after that, we're going to do our combination. We talked about it. Dark Knight Returns, Death of Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Birthright we're going to read. Birthright. Um, and then we're going to do... Um, um, what's the word I just gave you back again? Oh, we're going to do uh, We Can Never Go Home. We Can Never Go Home. We Can Never Go Home. And then I think uh, we'll probably wrap out. I think we've got a nice stack. We're going to finish up with Kaiju Max. Right. Uh, a Supermax prison filled with kaijus right and of course as always we always hold the right to to pull your last minute switches <laughs> as need be but but I, but I think so far i think that's what the list is gonna yeah. be like i uh, make sure to follow us on twitter at comic exposure uh or you can always go to the website check out all the podcasts we've done mm-hmm. way back to talking about uh god hates astronauts right our first scott godlesky's uh yes yeah, scott, scott godlesky came on to talk about uh his other book uh Copperhead, so you can go back and check that out. His new book, Dark and Bloody, is out. So many good episodes. So, so many, many good apps. So many apps. So, so go many check good them apps. out. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next trade. <laughs>